let's talk about Christ and the self, Christ and the self. And, uh, and again, uh, I know I'll probably get feedback about, you know, whether or not I should keep doing these. Um, but give me some specific stuff. Maybe let me know how this has really helped or impacted you. Um, if it's valuable enough for us to stay on, or if I'm just another talking head on social media these days, cause that's the last thing I want to do or be. Um, and I know I, I create <laughs> distress for people because I seem to be contrarian to a lot of things that people in the spiritual community want to go with. So, and maybe that contrarian voice needs to be heard. I don't know. But uh, in the spirit of being contrarian, <laughs> I want to talk again about the self. I want to talk about the ego. I want to talk about, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And uh, and I want to use the book of Colossians as my jumping point, my starting off point here. So Colossians, interesting thing here that we have when you think about what was the gospel or what is the gospel that was preached uh, in the early, you know, first couple centuries or whatever. <clears throat> and it's just interesting to me how Paul or the writer of Colossians, because there's some debates about uh, who wrote this book. But at any rate, I'm going to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, because I want you to look at how um, the writer of Colossians frames, defines the Son, and frames and defines Christ, <clears throat> and then how it relates to us. It's very important. In uh, verse 15, he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So <clears throat> if you begin with the premise that the sun is a separate entity, uh, like we would think about in human terms, uh, I have two sons. They are separate entities. Could say they're made in my image, but they're adopted. <laughs> or you could start out by saying he's describing what the sun is, not in human terms. In other words, he's reframing this whole idea of sonship and saying the sun is something else other than what we think. That what we call the sun is the image of the invisible God, the, the creative aspect of God. That all things that have been made, visible and invisible, were made by him and for him. And in him, all things consist or all things hold together. Now, he's not necessarily talking about the man Jesus. He's talking about something else here. I mean, you have to read that into the text because you make the Christ and Jesus the same thing. And if you're still confused on that, uh, I recommend Richard Rohr's book the universal christ yeah i think that's what's called the universal christ because he does a really good job of explaining that jesus and christ are not the same so he is before all things and in him all things hold together jesus didn't arrive until you know the manger 
Then he says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Now there he is talking about Jesus, and he is making Jesus and Christ the same. But let's keep reading. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now watch this. To present to you the word of God in its fullness. This is the fullness of the word of God and the gospel that Paul preached in this next statement. The mystery that has been kept hidden. Watch the language. Very important. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim. When he says he is the one we proclaim, who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ in you, even among the Gentiles. He says that's the fullness of the word of God and the mystery that has been hidden and kept secret for ages and for generations. So in other words, what the writer here is saying is that the only thing that has changed with Jesus, with the coming of Jesus, the only thing that changed was that something that always existed and always was from the very beginning of time. What that, what that was always there, but people were ignorant of. People did not know about. There was no revelation to them of. Now, I'm not arguing that this is truth. I'm simply saying this is what the writer of Colossians is saying. Right? That something always was, but it was kept secret. So the only thing that was being brought about by the coming of Jesus and by Paul's preaching was a revelation of what had been kept secret and what had been hidden from ages and generations. It was a revelation that this, that the sun, the sun, this invisible image of God that created all things, that upholds all things, was always wrapped up inside of you, was always in you. And he says that's the fullness of the word of God and the gospel that he's preaching. So he's not preaching a historical event. See what, what the, uh, what the Orthodox Church, uh, teaches. By Orthodox, I mean that which comes from the Orthodox tradition, meaning Orthodox churches like Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Catholic churches, and then the branches off of that 
and then even the um, uh, Anabaptist churches, stuff like that. I'm, I'm pretty much encompassing all of what calls itself Christian today. The linchpin for all of that, the keystone, as you know, is the historical birth, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. They're hung up on the history. And evangelicals, but not just evangelicals, just about everybody in that tradition, uh, in some way, shape, or form, says that human beings have relationship with God who is other than them, who is outside of them, our Father who art in heaven, right? You have this relationship with God only through belief in the historical person of Jesus, the historical crucifixion of Jesus, and the historical resurrection of Jesus. And so what they're saying, they're reducing relationship with God down to belief in history, belief in a historical event. But what the writer of Colossians is saying, he's saying the historical event has nothing to do with it. Now, here's the difference. I mean, that's literally what he's saying. He's saying nothing happened historically that changed anything. The only thing that's changed is you were once alienated from God in your own minds, and now there is a revelation to let you know that Christ was in you. Christ has always been in you. You've always been one with the Son and with the Creator. And it's the discovery of this self that is in you that is the glorious mysteries and the riches of the fullness of the gospel and the message and the fullness of the word of God. Now, what the Orthodox Church would say is that something, I'm going to use a big word for you, but I'll explain it. Something ontologically happened at the cruci- at the incarnation. Something ontologically happened at the crucifixion and the resurrection and ascension. Now, the word ontological means to, uh, the study of the nature of something. So what, what they are saying is that there was something about the nature of reality There was something about the nature of humanity. There was something about the nature of God that changed with the coming of Jesus and the coming of Christ in the manger and all that stuff. And and they'll say something ontologically changed, but then they'll say you have to believe the history and believe in a historical person to experience the reality of that ontological change. So that's that's kind of the difference between what's what's being said here and what's traditionally preached and believed. In most churches. Now, the writer here is also saying that the son or the Christ reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on his cross. So in other words, he's not necessarily saying something changed in the nature of things, but he's saying that something changed in the relationship of things. That now, again, we have some problems here, gang, because if we believe in a devil that's out there attacking us and deceiving us and all that stuff, uh, the writer here is saying that there was reconciliation <laughs> of all things in heaven and on earth, not to come, not at a second coming, but that happened, according to the writer here, at the cross. So the writer here, or Paul, or whoever it is, is definitely highlighting the cross and highlighting who Jesus is and saying that something changed in relationship with things, but he's saying there was an ontological truth, a truth that was woven into the nature of things that that you always were the Christ, that you are the Christ, that you were the Christ, that humanity has always been the Christ, but they've been ignorant of it. 
they've been aliens in their own minds. Now, I could certainly spend time here arguing the merits of the text and the time period and the, you know, all the historical stuff. But I just want to highlight from the scriptures two things. I want to highlight that it's clear, at least in this passage in your Bible, that the fullness of the word of God has nothing to do with a historical person or historical event and has everything to do with the ontological nature or the ontology or the nature of your self, that you have a Christ self in you. Now, this is the difference between a right-hand path and a left-hand path. I've been talking about this. If this is the first time you've heard this, um, then you can go back and, and listen to some of the others. But the way I'm using the terms, very important, because you Google these things and people use them hundreds of different, different ways. But the way I'm using the term, the right-hand path is the path of self-sacrifice, for the good of the community. In other words, I'm giving up myself. It is the, the pathway of the dissolution, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, not the dissolution, the dissolving of the ego, the dissolving of the self, the losing of the self into the uh, universe or into the divine. Uh, it's the mystical path of self-renunciation. It's take up your cross and follow me. It is needing a guru. It is needing an authority to tell you and to teach you. Uh, it is community conformity. It is conformity to groupthink in a religious setting. That's the right-hand path, and it's a valid path for people, and I'm not here to try to dissuade people from that. I'm just here to highlight the fact that there is also what has been known since time immemorial because the term right-hand path and left-hand path comes out of the Sanskrit, which is the oldest written and spoken language. The left-hand path is the path of self-actualization and self-development. Uh, you could say the right-hand path is the path of the sacrifice of the self for the other, the giving of the self for the other. The left-hand path is going deeply within the self and connecting to the true, higher, and authentic self, and then working with the self to transform the self for the purpose of bringing your uh, eternal self and soul to its highest divine pitch and expression as your highest and best service towards community. So I'm afraid that in spiritual circles, we create these false dichotomies and we create these things that cause people to just get on another religious treadmill that's going to lead them to just as much disillusionment down the road as maybe what they had before. And, and, and yet it sounds so good because it sounds so similar to what they had before. And so I want to be saying something very, very different. So... The difference for me, then, is this. The difference between the right-hand path, which Christianity, in my view, is a right-hand path. Gnostic Christianity is a little bit more reflective of a left-hand path, in my opinion. But if I am 
separate from and other than this God that's in the sky that has authority and power and wants to control my life, wants to be the Lord of my life, then I am disconnecting from myself. I'm alienating from myself, or at least from parts of myself, right? I'm at least alienating from parts of myself. Whereas what Paul's saying here in Colossians, and what I'm advocating for, is a journey deep within the self to connect with your authentic self. So in other words, the Son, God, S-O-N, Christ, the image of God, the divine essence, the divine power, however you want to understand that, that spiritual energy clothed itself, separated itself off, split off into various different points of reference. Um, Everything in the fabric of creation is determined by position. Pythagoras, who was a steward of the ancient mysteries, said that if you did not understand geometry, you could not understand the divine. Or something like that. Because this is all about position. So yes, there was a oneness in a sense that was the sun or what some traditions call the monad that divided itself into various different points of consciousness for the purpose of experience from different frames of reference. In other words, the ability to see everything from a different frame of reference. That depends upon position. Position depends upon separation. Therefore, oneness consciousness is a logical fallacy. It's logically impossible because there has to be two in order to know one. There has to be the experiencer and that which is experienced, which requires position and frame of reference. And reference, the, the, the etymology of the word, contains within itself uh, this idea of separation and division. So there is no such thing as oneness consciousness. It's impossible. It's a logical fallacy. I don't care who said it. I don't care who channeled it. I don't, it's, it's, it's a logical fallacy. Just think it through with me. And it's not the fabric of reality at all. Because you have these very points of consciousness so that time and space and all that can be experienced can be experienced from various different frames and points of reference. I'll tie this into the ego and uh, presence in a moment, and maybe that will help you understand. So this divine essence separated into different points of light. Let's do it that way. Uh, sparks flew out, <laughs> right? Different points of light. So the same fire, but different... Time and space, separation, multiplicity, right? And then that divine spark became clothed in a soul. And I believe crystallized in that soul. Clothed in a soul. Crystallized in a soul. And that soul is eternal. 
always was. Well, the soul wasn't always was, but the divine spark always was. But has been in the past, before you were formed in your mother's womb in this life, and will be going forward in the future. And that soul is your, simply your eye, your point of reference and point of consciousness for the purpose of having experience from a certain frame of reference. Then the soul comes down and descends into a body and develops a personality. So if you can think about it this way, the divine spark comes down, becomes clothed with a soul, becomes crystallized or solidified in that soul. In that, Inside that soul is your purpose, your purpose for coming here. Inside that soul is all that is authentic and divine about you. In that soul is all that is true of you. All that is authentic, all that is, some people might call it the higher self, the you that Paul says is in Christ, seated in Christ, in heavenly places. So you can think about it in that sense. And then the soul descends and takes on a body inside the womb, takes on the genetic characteristics, which influence a lot of stuff, right? Takes on the genetic characteristics of the mother and father. So the gen becomes, uh, participates in generations and then is born and then is born more or less a blank slate, except that you are going to bring with you the predispositions and temperaments that are in your soul. You're going to carry the resonance of your soul code, your purpose. You're going to carry some generational memories and some characteristics of temperament and personality from your DNA. And then you're going to be programmed. Your brain literally is kind of a blank slate that then begins to be programmed or wired with neural pathways and different things like that so that that becomes your personality and your personality is the combination of your thoughts and your feelings, your, your thinking, your cognitions, your thinking, your intellect and your emotions, your right hemisphere and your left hemisphere. That becomes your programming and coding so that you really are like an avatar living inside a game. Now, what most people call the ego is this programming that you take on and identify as your the full extent of your self. This is myself. In other words, Aaron Tomlinson, year I was born, place I was born, people I was born to, experiences I had in my life that affected and programmed my temperament, my preferences, my beliefs, my subconscious. That's who I am, and I'm just living out this story. That's to be unconscious. That's to be living in the personality. And so it is possible, in fact, more than likely, that our personalities are programmed in a way that is out of sync and incongruent with our souls. 
And if we're out of sync and incongruent with our souls, then we are also not in harmony with the divine spark that is contained within our souls. So the pathway to the divine then, the pathway to God, is not outside of us doing rituals and all this kind of stuff to try to get to God and, you know, whatever it is that we do. The pathway is within us. It's to go, it's to pull ourselves out from the programming and realize I am not my programming. I am more than my programming, what people call the ego. But also I'm not trying to get rid of the ego. I'm recognizing and honoring it that it has its, its purpose and its place. The ego is my workshop. And then, so then what happens is I want to bring my attention away from those things inwardly and connect with my soul. And when I connect with my soul, there is a totally different resonance. There is a totally different vibration. There is an authenticity. There is an organic interaction with life. There is a wholeness that emerges. There is a balance that emerges. There is there is a synthesis that emerges. There is no getting rid of the old, lower nature. There is no getting rid of the ego. There's none of that. But there is an integrated whole self that I begin to find. There, There is a stabilizing of my identity and myself when I connect with my soul deep within. And then by going even deeper than that, I connect with the divine spark and I begin to raise it up. So that this gospel connects you. It does not, the, 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 the gospel that we hear most in most churches alienates you from yourself. What I'm saying connects you to yourself in a genuine, authentic, and holistic way without, and it ends the war inside of you. So let's come back to this idea of oneness and duplicity and let's talk about what people call the ego. I'm going to call it your program, your personality, your programmed personality, right? That is the vehicle that allows you to express yourself and your purpose and also take in experiences and lessons for your soul in this world of polarity and physical reality in which we live. So my soul primarily it's going to be made up of my thoughts, left hemisphere, my emotions and imagination, intuition, right hemisphere, and the instinctual drives and programming in my subconscious. Now, I have to realize that all of that, to some degree, is programming. So the way I think and believe this is the way I was programmed to think and believe. The emotional reactions that I have to triggers are automatic responses based on the emotional programming that I had. So people will say, well, just realize there is no ego, that the ego does not exist. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, I mean, if you want to say the ego does not exist in physical reality, sure. But then quit talking to me about chakras. Uh, because in the same way that you cannot open me up or open you up and find the ego, in the same way you can't open you up and find the chakras. 
So to say there is no I, to say there is no self, to say that the self does not exist, that, that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. None. Absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Because your programming does exist. Your thoughts are things. Your feelings are real chemical reactions that are happening inside your body. And your I, your center of consciousness, is part of the plan and the will of God. Or God would not have divided God's self. Now, a lot of traditions in the East and the West, right-hand path traditions, say that the divine sparks are to be gathered up and brought back into the fire, brought back into oneness, and that may be the case. But we're not there right now. Um, but it, but anyway, I, I, I digress. <clears throat> so to say that your thoughts aren't real, to say that your feelings aren't real, that they don't com- compose a self, <clears throat> makes no sense to me. I, I don't understand that at all. I mean, that's just the neighborhood of make-believe. <clears throat> so what then... This left-hand path says is that I can transform myself. I can change. I can wake up and realize I've been programmed this way, and I can decide whether it's working for me or whether it's not working for me or whether it's in sync with my deeper, highest, highest self. And if it's not, then I observe it. So I no longer identify with the thinker or the talker or, like, let's say if you've got a lot of shame self-talk, a lot of fear self-talk. That's not a lower self. That's not a nature that needs to be eradicated. It's not a nature that needs to be subjected or subdued. If you have a lot of shame and fear, that's not something that has to be subjected or subdued or destroyed. But it can be changed. It's just programming. It's just programming. And so you can step out of your identification with the mind, if you've got a bunch of negative self-talk, by identifying with the listener rather than the speaker in your head. That's what psychologists call a metacognition. A metacognition, the ability to think about your thinking, (laughs) the ability to pull yourself outside of your thinking and observe it with curiosity. It's called mindfulness. It's not some great spiritual feat, (laughs) right? But you're looking at that way of thinking and identifying with the listener and observing it from a place of curiosity, realizing that it's just programming. That is a shift of ego states. It's to identify with the deeper I or to identify with the listener rather than with the speaker. But you still, there's still separation. In, in fact, you can't do that. That is not a, 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 so here's my point. Remember about oneness? Remember how I said oneness, consciousness is impossible? It's it's a logical fallacy? It's mathematically impossible? Well, watch this. When you shift back from being the speaker to being the listener to observing your thoughts rather than being the thinker to realize you're not your mind, and you step back, what did you do? You created a division. You created a frame of reference that divided self-presence from the programmed thinker, or what they call the ego. So you can't even observe the ego without practicing some form of duplicity, duality, dualism, because you step back. Now there's you and the thoughts. Before you had union, watch, see? Before you had union with your thoughts, you thought you were the thinker. 
But then when you identify with the listener, you pulled back and separated and created a dualism. You can do the same thing with your feelings instead of uh, getting caught up. Like, like one of the things you'll find if you've got like some emotional issues is that you've got kinesthetic sensations. You've got bodily sensations going on that we call emotions. Uh, pin in my stomach, knife in my heart, knife in my back, pain in the neck. <laughs> this all comes out in our language, right? Uh, butterflies in my stomach. So you're having sensations in your physical body, and then you have a story that you're telling yourself. Uh, so let's say you have stage fright, just for example. Um, who knows where that stage fright came from, but you have to go and give a talk. You have to, um, I don't know, play a part in a Christmas play or something, and you're nervous, so you're feeling all the sensations of the fight-or-flight response in your body, and you're telling yourself this story, probably running a movie, of you're going to go up there and you're going to make a fool of yourself and everybody's going to laugh at you and how much you hate this and how much you don't want to do this. So you've got the chatter going on in your brain, and you've got the emotions going on. So if you can step back from that, you can just listen to the chatter like it's not you, like it's someone else, almost taking a third-party view, right? Not emotionally invested in it, just curious. What's going on here? And then you quit identifying your emotions with emotional terms. I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm angry. I'm whatever. But you identify the sensation and location. In my stomach, I feel heavy. I feel tight. There's a burning sensation that's coming up. I feel like Tabasco sauce coming up the back of my neck. Right? That those kinds of things, to just sit down and describe those things out loud, to describe what the speaker in your head is saying out loud, allows you to disidentify. It's a way that you can retract yourself or pull back from the personality and realize that you are more than your personality, that your personality is important. You're not trying to eradicate it. You're not trying to destroy it. But you want to be in charge, but you want the programming to come ultimately from the divine that is within you and from your soul in terms of how you are living your purpose out in your life. So hopefully that helped you. I want to just sum this up by saying the difference is this, that religion will alienate you from yourself. It'll teach you to hate yourself, teach you to be at war with different parts of yourself, teach you to kill and get rid of parts of yourself. This pathway of spirituality is saying get to know yourself, fall in love with yourself, fall in love with every aspect of yourself. Don't repeat the same mistakes that you did when you were stuck in a religion that you wanted to get out of, where you were at war with yourself, fighting with yourself, hating on yourself, and feeling like you had to change yourself, being alienated from yourself. Don't get into this pathway of thinking that you can't know for yourself what is right for you, and that you have to follow some path or follow some guru, or follow somebody's teachings to the letter. Not not even mine, um, which I know none of you are doing, because um, I hear from it, and I love it. You know, I don't agree with everything you say. Great. I'm so glad to hear that, because I don't want to be peddling something that's just programming people on another right-hand path. So to think that you have to follow someone or something else 
and surrender parts of yourself and sacrifice yourself. You don't have to do that. There is another pathway to Christ, to God, through genuine authenticity and connection with who you are. Finding out that you don't have to sacrifice the self. You can find God within the self. And that, at least according to Colossians, is the good news of the gospel. So I'll go back and look at the uh, comments. Um, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely let me know if you want me to keep doing stuff like this. Um, and something I might do down the road, like maybe in September or October, is switch from Facebook to uh, YouTube and some other formats. So let me know if that will work for you as well. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for watching and listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.